Welcome to the Untold Story podcast, everybody. I'm Martha McCallum, and I'm very happy to be joined by Jonathan Turley today, uh, who is a Fox News contributor, of course. You all know him really well, and the Shapiro Professor of Public Interest Law at George Washington University. He's a nationally recognized legal scholar. He has written extensively in areas from constitutional law to legal history to the Supreme Court, dozens of academic journals, and Jonathan is a deep expert on all of the things that uh, we're going to discuss. So, Jonathan, great to have you with us today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So let's jump in a little bit on this decision by Judge Angeron, which is getting an enormous amount of attention and which seems to have a lot of very unusual qualities to it. Um, You wrote a piece called Pay to Play. Trump faces a staggering cost for the appeal. Explain your headline to us a bit, Jonathan. Well, you know, most of the focus on this case has been on this rather curious New York law that doesn't require any tangible victim. That is, you had the imposition of 355 or so million dollars in uh, fines uh, to disgorge uh, what what Trump was accused of gaining from all of this. Uh, But he actually didn't cost anyone a single dollar. In fact, uh, the banks involved, the purported victims, testified that they wanted to do more business with Trump. They viewed him as a whale. They made a lot of money on, on these loans. So the law is a bit odd in that sense. A lot of people uh, really feel that uh, this is deeply problematic, particularly when the company didn't default. All The loan was paid on time with profits and everyone left as friends, apparently. So that has some legitimate questions, but I don't think the court's going to suddenly overturn a law that's been on the books for so many years. But there's a second rule in New York, and this is not just New York, that requires a deposit or an escrow or a bond to cover the full amount of the judgment. Well, that means that if a judge imposes an astronomical fine like this one, it can effectively bankrupt defendants as a condition of their getting an appeal. Now, you can ask a court to waive that. This doesn't seem like the judge to do that. Uh, But you can also ask the Court of Appeals to waive it. But unless it is waived, he has to come up in 30 days with almost half a billion dollars worth of either cash or a guarantee through a bond. Even for Donald Trump, that's not so easy. Yeah. You know, and the fact that it's part of getting to the appeals process and yet it may require selling off assets that you wouldn't be able to necessarily, you know, undo in the event that you are, are successful on appeal. So it, it seems very unfair to force someone to make these changes that are not easily reparable if the appeals court does rule in your favor. Right. It's like uh, contesting the government taking your home and then seeking to appeal a judgment, but you have to sell the home in order to appeal the judgment. Uh, it, it's it's not it doesn't sit well with a lot of people, uh, particularly because many of us have serious questions about what the judge did here. 
I mean, I, I can understand the judge imposing some type of fine for overvaluation or undervaluation of assets, but that is a very common practice in the real estate area. And that's why it, it created such a shudder in New York of many businesses saying, but for the grace of God, go I. I'm curious what you think about his legal defense in this case and whether or not you think that there is anything that could have been done differently, given what appears to be a judge who is pretty determined to uh, to try to take the former president down here and had made a summary judgment before this even began. And there was no jury, of course. Well, you know, it's easy to uh, Monday morning quarterback these games. Uh, I've been counsel in high profile cases and been on the other side of that. Uh, the fact is, I'm not too sure what would have changed the trajectory of the case. The court had already determined that Trump had committed fraud. And this was only a question of the penalty or the fine. Um, he did appear to be quite enthusiastic. Uh, about imposing such a large fine. Uh, he had a lot of sharp engagements with Trump. Now, Trump didn't help that at all. He, he sort of stuck his finger in the eye of the court. But the court was already, I think, viewed as fairly hostile by the team. In some ways, you know, Trump has made an art out of bringing the worst out of people. Uh, you know, he, he's been blessed by people who fulfill his narrative. Right. I mean, that's the most amazing thing about this. You know, he talked about weaponizing the government, the deep state uh, judges that uh, are on a personal vendetta. And every time it seems like people will fulfill that narrative. And I think that I was hoping that the judge would really be able to tr to transcend expectations, to to come in with something a little more reasonable, mm -hmm. to be honest. I never thought that the court would ever give a judgment this large. I thought that James was insane. In fact, I thought that she was doing this to give cover for the court to come in at half. Uh, but instead, she virtually yes. got her maximum amount. It, it is extraordinary cases that are similar to this have ever really been brought on this law in New York. And it makes it appear that this, these damages, since, as you point out, there's no party that claims they suffered financial loss due to these exaggerations uh, or undervaluations of these these properties. So how did they arrive at this number? I mean, doesn't a judge have to make some calculations that that back up, especially since this is not a jury deciding any of this, how he got to the number? Well, he did do a type of folk calculation, but when you drill down on it, there's not much there. You know, he basically took uh, the top figures of anything he could get. Uh, he also made some assumptions. For example, he said, you know, if you had disclosed the true value, the bank would have likely given you a worse loan. Well, that seems pretty speculative. You know, the Trump organization was renowned for squeezing banks to get the best possible mm -hmm. terms. And they were able to do that because they were what the banks called a whale. So I'm not at all convinced that if these figures were different, the bank would have come up with materially different interest rates uh, or conditions. Uh, if you ask the banks themselves, these witnesses said, no, we do our own research. The exactly. Yeah, the numbers that Trump put down came with a caveat that basically do your own research. These are our estimates. 
The Untold Story continues right after this. Yeah, I mean, the banks have a fiduciary responsibility to their own shareholders to make sure that they are also investigating the value and the credibility. They have entire departments that are just based on credit, which is, you know, investigating whether or not this is a loan that's going to end up doing well for the bank or not. So there are so many of these cases. There's 91 counts. So each, but I just think it's really important to understand each one of them individually, because otherwise it does sort of feel like the whole thing is... um, an effort to take down this person who's running for president and is in the lead spot right now um, and to bankrupt him, I guess, is motivation here. What do you think? Well, what's fascinating about the New York laws when you combine them, uh, both with the law that was used and the deposit rule, um, Endron actually made it very difficult for most people to appeal this. I mean, if if this was not Donald Trump sitting on a huge amount of real estate, uh, many defendants couldn't afford to appeal. And that's a problem. I mean, and it's a problem when the governor comes out and assures businesses you have nothing to worry about uh, because you're not Donald Trump. Well, that's the problem. That's why this has to be dealt with, because you cannot have a separate business code for Trump. And it's not very reassuring to businesses. You know, the problem, Martha, is that New York was able to be a center of business because of not only they were the the center of much of, of the corporate world, but they also were leading jurisdiction for corporate law. This has really shattered that, uh, that, you, you, you know, companies would put up with the crime, the noise, the, the inconveniences of New York, um, because this was a sophisticated business environment. Right. Well, you know, now James is the face of uh, New York corporate law. And that's really something that a lot of people are going to be uneasy about. You know, she previously tried to dissolve the National Rifle Association. She's an extremely political attorney general who has run on the pledge to bag people like Trump. Um, There was a prior decision that also came in, I think, bigger than what the uh, prosecution had asked for. And that's the E. Jean Carroll civil case for um, defamation. So how does this work? I mean, you know, who who gets priority? Who gets paid first? Do they have to get paid at the same time? How, how do they juggle all these these enormous payments? Well, I also thought that that award was uh, unreasonably large. I expected the court uh, to reduce that. Uh, we'll see what happens on the Court of Appeals. But they both are subject to these types of deposit or bond issues, which is why he's going to have uh, at least half a billion dollars uh, tied up in bonds or deposits in order to just appeal these decisions. And there is a feeling when you look at all these cases that you have something like what the British Navy called flogging around the fleet. You know, it used to be if you were a, 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 a guilty party, they would take you in a rowboat and have you flogged at every boat anchored in the harbor. And I think people are beginning to get that sense about Trump that and he's really worked really well to maintain this. You know, he shows up at each of these hearings. And I think it's because he wants him on the news. He wants people to see his being, you know, forced from jurisdiction and courtroom to courtroom. And I think it has had an impact. He's prevailing on the narrative. What's your sense of whether or not we are going to see there was a report yesterday that said that, um, Charlie Gasparino was reporting that Trump insiders are telling him that, you know, he doesn't 
expect that there will still be Trump assets in New York after this, that he will completely liquidate, pull out of New York um, and not want to have any presence here at all. Is that I mean, he may not have a choice in terms of coming up with this money. But is that a scenario that you you see playing out? Absolutely. Why would why would Trump stay in New York? Uh, it's like the Lord of the Flies and asking Piggy, would you like to stay on the island? Exactly. Manhattan, you know, Manhattan is not a hospitable place for Trump. It's not a particularly hospitable place for business. And so he may indeed leave New York, uh, but he may have trouble getting a moving truck. I mean, there are a lot of of businesses that are saying enough already. I've heard from many business uh, people in New York uh, who have moved or are thinking moving to Florida and other other states. I mean, they can get lower taxes, but also now they can't even count on the legal system as being unbiased. It's not just James. You know, New York has always had crusaders uh, in that office. But what it has also had was a really respected court system. This judgment shatters that. I mean, it. Th- this is an obscene yeah. board. It's just based it on is, something yeah. that I could find. Is there any one who can step in and look at this. I looked at the BMW case that I think you wrote about the other day, exorbitant punishment against BMW for some practices that they carried out. And that wasn't anywhere near the size of this judgment, but the Supreme uh. Court determined that it was excessive um, and gave it, you, you might remember the, the dollar figure that they were that they had to pay, I don't, but um, can the Supreme Court look at this and just voluntarily step in and say, this is, unjust and unconstitutional? Well, first, the New York Court of Appeals has a chance to redeem the legal system by throwing a flag on this plane and saying, my God, I mean, there's got to be some limits here. Uh, and so they could end up reducing this award or sending it back. If they don't, the Supreme Court might find this as problematic under the Constitution. You know, the BMW case uh, involved punitive damages, which are a little different. But there's an irony here, and that is the difference that will be cited by New York is that, well, this isn't a case of punitive damages where the jury went too far. This is just the gorgement uh, figure. So this is just the figure of what he gained. But of course, that itself is a bit of a spin. There was nothing to disgorge from the view of most of us. There weren't anyone who was uh, who, who lost a single dollar. Uh, so this judge just came up with this fanciful figure and said this is is a fine of disgorgement. So the, the Supreme Court may look at that askance and say, look, there's got to be some protection for people in states like New York. You can't just hunt down people for sport and come up with m- m- multiple hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to effectively bankrupt them. It's yeah, it, it's stunning. Now, I do want to get your thoughts on it's a little tricky because we're waiting for the Supreme Court to weigh in on the former President Trump's assessment that he should have immunity um, in these, obviously spread further, but immunity as president in the Georgia case, in the federal case uh, with regard to January 6th. What do you expect to happen there, Jonathan? Well, there's two issues here, Martha, that are going to be challenging. Um, I think that Donald Trump has an excellent argument when it comes to the procedural question, because what the Court of Appeals panel did here 
was it effectively erased his right to an intermediate appeal to go to the full court of the D.C. Circuit and to say, I'd like you to look at this. Uh, the panel he got uh, was was ideal for Jack Smith. I mean, we all knew how that would come out. But the it's not that the in-bank appeal is going to change the outcome. It probably won't. But he's arguing for something that other defendants, other litigants are entitled to. Um, the, the second question on the merits is much more challenging for Trump. He's making a sweeping absolute immunity claim. I don't think he has the votes on the Supreme Court for that. Uh, so you have to separate the two. The question is, does the court really want to take this? And, you know, they've got a lot of big ticket items coming up related to the election, including the Colorado disqualification decision, uh, which may also drop this week. So the justices may want this cup to pass from their lips. You know, they may just not take it. That's the wonderful thing about being a discretionary court. So we'll have to see. Jonathan, thank you so much. Great to talk to you uh, and get a bit of a deep dive on your thoughts on this extraordinary judgment against uh, President Trump. And I would encourage everybody to read Jonathan's piece, Pay to Play. Trump faces a staggering cost for appeal. And we'll see where this goes. We look forward to seeing you back on the show um, very soon on all of this, Jonathan. And thanks for taking some time with us today for the podcast. Thank you, Martha. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 